I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up. This episode contains a mention of sexual assault. The taste of sprinkles and Tillamook ice cream bubbled up in the back of my throat as I leaned my body against the staircase. My feet braced for stability on the light sand, gently dusting the concrete. I had my eyes fixed on Haystack Rock, just south of Cannon Beach, Oregon, trying my best not to create a rainbow Jackson Pollock on the sidewalk. This had become my usual routine. Binge, purge, be touched and healed by the salty air and evergreens, then retreat home, praying only the sea stars saw my tears. These creatures have witnessed my tears since I was seven years old, when their numbers first began dwindling. Unsure what to do, I would cry. I would draw. I would write to the local government. Then, I would cry again. We got to know each other this way. At 21, the tears were the same composition, the same amount of salt and water but I cried for something different. He took off my pants first. My heart still cloaked in linen and purple lace. Order never felt important to me before that night. Probably because it was always properly obeyed. My heart was always exposed, if only for a moment, before my underwear was, and my no was always respected. Almost three years later, The painful memory has come to an uneasy rest, hard and heavy like basalt, somewhere between my hips and my heart. If I had the choice, I would change that night. I would trade all that I have learned and all the ways in which I have grown to erase it. I thought that I knew better. I thought that I knew better than to let myself believe that it was my fault. 
I had read stories written by survivors. I had supported friends. I took women and gender studies classes. I thought I knew what to do. I thought I knew how to think. But no amount of reading or empathy prepared me. No one told me about the months I'd spend blaming myself or how I would lie and say I wanted it because that felt like an easier reality to handle. They didn't tell me how I, in a scary set of mental gymnastics, would convince myself that I did indeed want it. But I didn't. They didn't tell me how the recurring nightmares would set in nor the crying, the fear, the new panic disorder. My body told me what my mind could not, that no, I did not want him to touch me. So I started running. When the anxiety and paranoia became too much, I would pick myself out of my six by six room just east of Cannon Beach lace up an old pair of sneakers, and head out amongst the red cedars and Sitka spruce. I started running because it was hard, because I hated it, because it was the only way to get out of my mind and into my body. It was a form of self-hatred and self-care, a reflection of the disjointed and tense cultural narrative we hear about sexual assault. I found the quiet to be overwhelming at this time, so I put in my headphones and queued up as much Lizzo and City Girls as I could, doing my best to embody the bad bitch attitude I craved. I couldn't even run two miles without stopping to walk. I felt like a failure. At this point, I was furious. I was furious that running was hard that I couldn't force myself to do it. I was furious that I let someone's unwanted touch weigh so heavily on me. I was angry at myself for even being angry because my rape was complicated, messy, gray. What right did I have to feel self-pity? So I kept running and walked when I could not. I learned to breathe more steadily The panic attacks felt less debilitating. I started going further from my house. I went four miles, then five. I woke up before sunrise. I ran after sunset. I hugged the trees. I touched the ferns. I jumped into the Nehalem River with nothing on. I slipped on roots and fell in the mud. I laughed when I was so startled by a garter snake that I peed my pants. I slowly reclaimed what he could not take from me. Joy in my body. After a few months of experiencing more and more of these joyful moments, I felt ready to do something I had never done before. Go on a trip alone. I took a few days off work and packed up my car with the 
essentials. A tent, sleeping bag, sneakers, a notebook, a can of frosting, dried mangoes, my trusty purple Crocs, and headed south to Bend. Four and a half hours later, I was setting up my tent at Devil's Lake Campground, about 30 miles west of Bend. I found a spot amongst the pines and ate a peanut butter sandwich before crawling in to my sleeping bag. I laid awake, terrified by every breeze and brush that touched my rainfly. But for the first time, this fear was welcomed. It was a type of fear that did not send me into a full panic attack. It awoke something deep, something primal, something that existed before I knew to be scared of unwanted, non-consensual touch. As dawn illuminated the sky, I rose and packed up camp. At Devil's Lake Trailhead, I packed up my bag and started one foot in front of the other to the summit of South Sister. The sun was just coming up as I started uphill through the forest, surrounded by the stillness and sweetness of the hemlocks. For a Saturday morning, I was surprisingly alone. The first two miles were grueling and steep. Breathe in, breathe out. I was not sure I could do it. Yet, upwards I went. At around 7,000 feet, I emerged from the trees onto a sandy plateau, embracing the strut of a model stepping out onto the runway, except my only accessories were the sweat encrusted on my skin and the dirt beneath my fingernails. I fixed my eyes on South Sister, jutting abruptly skyward, showing little indication of its potential for eruption for havoc, for complete chaos. As the trail pivoted upwards again, I caught a glimpse of Moraine Lake below. As I kept climbing higher, the basaltic andesite was replaced by scoria and tephra, giving the peak a reddish hue. I caught a glimpse of Lewis Glacier, then Teardrop Pool, the highest lake in Oregon. The trail became more and more crowded. Other hikers would ask if I was out here all alone. And truthfully, I felt safest out there alone. I was so caught up in conversation with a woman that I met along the trail that I didn't even realize I was approaching the top of South Sister. As we reached the final expanse of snow before the proper summit, she waited for the rest of her group. I continued onwards, my feet sinking into the mid-July snow. I sat on the summit, eyeing middle and north sister, dreaming of the day that I could run or ski all three. I munched on dried mangoes and blissed out beneath the cloudless sky, breathing in the work that it took to get me here. I noticed a flash of orange and brown out of the corner of my eye. Then another, 
and another. Suddenly, the lip of the crater looked like it was releasing puffs of orange confetti. Butterflies. In awe, I watched them fluttering along the ridge. I learned from a local ranger that I had witnessed the summer brood of California tortoise shells emerging. California tortoise shells are endemic to California, but their range spreads from British Columbia to Mexico and from the Pacific Ocean to Wyoming. In particularly extraordinary years, they've been found as far east as Vermont. These butterflies have a boom-and-bust life cycle that is elusive to most researchers. They emerge for a brief few days, decorating the stratovolcanoes and local news outlets. By luck or maybe divine intervention, we crossed paths that day. As I started my descent, the tortoise shells surrounded me, landed on me, kissed my head, my cheeks, my shoulders. Retracing my steps past Lewis Glacier, I ran into an older woman who commented on how beautiful I looked with butterflies in my hair. She was right. I felt beautiful, with blisters on my toes, dirt on my knees, and butterfly wings in my hair. I glowed. That day on South Sister, I had to embrace all that is both beautiful and dark. Pain and beauty, chaos and delight, trauma and gratitude exist all at once, and they do not shrink amongst their duality. That day on South Sister, I had to embrace all that is both beautiful and dark. Pain and beauty, chaos and delight, Trauma and gratitude exist all at once, and they do not shrink amidst their duality. The butterflies did not make my experience over the past few months more bearable, but they did fill my eyes with beauty instead of tears, and sometimes that is enough. I'm Sierra Meggett, and this is my short. Thank you, Sierra, for sharing your story. It means a lot to us. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, from you, our community. Please keep an eye out this late summer, early fall, for our shorts, submission, guidelines, and you can participate as well. Also, if you have a compelling idea for a guest or story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Kai Angle, Jason Tyler Burton, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Lauren Delani Miller with additional production help from Becca Call. Illustration by Walker Call. Becca Call is our executive producer. I'm Fitzgall, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Support comes from Kuat Racks. Their Ibex overlanding truck bed rack is made to handle substantial loads both on and off the grid. You can go anywhere with it.
Seriously, constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in seven different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details and to visualize your Ibex configuration, you should do this. It's super cool. It's a neat augmented reality program. Check it out. See what it would look like on your truck. It works super well. Visit Kuat. Dot com kuad because you will absolutely love this overlanding truck bed rack <laughs> 